Hello, I'm psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And I'm science journalist Marnie Chesterton. A welcome to Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. And we're on a mission, a mission to answer a thousand questions about the human mind. Can I ask a couple? Go for it. You've mentioned the mind. A thousand questions about what exactly? Well, how we think, how we feel, how we behave. We're going to be talking about the psychology behind happiness, memory, dreams, even magic. And why am I here? Because we need someone to keep us on track. And also, if I just sit here and talk to myself, it's like a normal Saturday night. And no one needs that level of tragedy in a podcast. But I'm delighted to be here with you. You are the UK's only professor of the public understanding of psychology. You've surveyed 350,000 people to find the world's funniest joke, spent 10 years studying luck, and tracked 26,000 people to see what makes them happy. You're too kind. And a thousand questions means a thousand answers. Questions from the public, from you, from me, sometimes big questions. Like what's the relationship between the mind and the brain? Sometimes small questions, like what is your favourite cheese? Cheddar. Good answer. That's one down, but we've got loads more to do. In this episode, we're going to be exploring the psychology of lying. We'll be finding out whether lie detectors really work. We'll be asking if you can use body language to spot a lie. And whether lying is actually a good thing. I'd go yes. Let's get on with the show. So in my teenage years, I had a job at a well-known supermarket. Mm. And I was a terrible, terrible worker. So they put me on the toilet roll aisle. And I realised in the warehouse that there were these big kind of mountains of toilet rolls. And if I started to take toilet rolls from the middle of the mountain rather than the edges, I could form a secret place where I could then hide during the day instead of stacking toilet rolls, which worked very well. But then my friend, Philip, found out about my secret place. And he said, I won't tell the management, but I want to be able to come into your secret place and sleep as well. Was it big enough for both of you? Or... Barely. Okay. And I didn't like him. <laughs> friend. But the, the, exactly. But the two of us... Names have not been changed. <laughs> names have not been changed. No, his name was Philip. I can't remember his surname. And so the two of us would go into there and try and sleep during the day. But then Philip wasn't as stealthy as I was, and so he got caught going into the secret location. We both got told off, and the punishment was to go on the seven items or less aisle as a cashier because that's really hard work on a busy day. And so I'm working away there being punished, and a person comes in with a box of cornflakes, and I said... I think, this is, I think this is a funny line. I'm just putting it out there. I said I can't put that through seven items or less because there are hundreds of items in that box of cornflakes. The customer went and complained about my frivolous remark Yep. and I lost my job. <gasps> Why have you just told me that? Because my question is, truth or lie, did that actually happen to me? Yeah, I'm with you all the way. That sounds, that sounds entirely convincing. Right. None of that happened to me at all. It's a complete lie. It just shows how hard it is to detect whether people are lying. I thought I was quite good at telling when people are lying. That's the thing. Most people think they're really good. and, and But they never put it to the test because you only really find out the lies you actually detect. So if, if like... You know, if you went back to the well-known supermarket that shall not be named and, and actually said... Does it even exist, Richard? Uh, it does exist because I did have a Saturday job at a supermarket. OK. But I was brilliant. 
I mean, I was really good. Were you were like star worker of the month? Star worker of every day. They put me on the bean aisle. I was so good. And, and cans of beans are very heavy and very fast moving. So I was never demoted to the toilet roll aisle. I make that quite clear. Anyway, what I'm saying is that if you went to that supermarket and asked them, did you have you know this toilet roll-based uh, employee uh, who was, was then uh, sacked, they would say no and you'd find out. But most people don't do that. So we only find out if we're a good lie, lie detector if we actually find out the person's lying. Most of the time, we don't get that feedback. And so we convince ourselves we're really good at it. And most of the research is, we're absolutely terrible. Um, I'm feeling, I should say, I'm feeling slightly uncomfortable sat here opposite you because there's a thing... (laughs) That's not unusual. (laughs) You're you're not the first person to say that. I'm just just being honest. No, no. (laughs) I'm just... There's a gadget on the table between us. Yes. um, (laughs) <laughs> Can you tell us what it is? This is a very sophisticated gadget. It's a voice stress analyzer, which is one of many devices that uh, people use to try and detect whether someone's lying or not. And I've used this for about 10 years. And at the minute, it's not on, it's off, uh, which is the opposite of not on. But if you were to press the on button, then all the little lights would start to flash on it and it would analyze uh, your your speech live and give me an insight into whether or not you're lying. That's the theory, at least, behind the voice stress analyzer. Huh. Um, I, I don't like it. Um, really? No. I can put it away if you like. No, no, it's fine. It just feels like you've got sort of uh, a machine that's got a, a window into my deepest, darkest being. Uh, well, it's not very good, uh, but to be fair... I only bought it on the internet for 30 quid, so shouldn't expect too much. <laughs> okay. So it's uh, so it, it's based on what's called obviously the polygraph, which is this very big machine where you're wired up to it, uh, which has got an interesting history. So polygraphs were invented in 1910s, 1920s by William Moulton Marsden. So William, as I like to refer to him, had this idea that you could link people up to a machine that would monitor your physiology, so how much you're sweating, respiration rate, heart rate, and so on, and that liars would then physiologically be more active and that this would be a magic bullet. At last, we'll be able to tell uh, whether someone's lying or not. Turns out to be a little bit more complicated than that because some people, when they're lying, it's a well-rehearsed lie, they don't feel guilty about it, there's no physiological indicators other people, truth tellers, they're a bit worried because they've just been connected to a big machine and they're being accused of something, show all of those indicators. So in my opinion, polygraphs aren't really the best way of telling whether someone's uh, lying. Can we can we use that? Uh, we can, but, but you need to... Um, let me turn it on here. There we are. Oh, it's started flashing already. So this goes towards me. I'm seeing either red, uh, yellow or green lights. Um, hopefully you're, you're not seeing those. I'm not. Uh, and what that means is that, actually, in fact, if I share them with you for the moment, if I carry on talking and saying I'm enjoying your company and... It's we're gone a, yellow. It has, <laughs> hasn't gone red. Hasn't gone red. Okay, so yeah. the red is... The red is definitely a lie. Definitely a lie. Do not trust this man is is, is what the red would be telling you. Uh, but uh, say it's, uh, it's been a, a wonderful day so far. In fact, it's, it's one of my uh, favourite days of the week um, so far. Green. It's a green. I'm having a wonderful time. Uh, but then if I shield that from you, like this, yeah. it allows me to analyse your voice in real time okay. and tell you whether you're lying. Okay. Do I need to give it some backup kind of truths no. about myself? You can just go for it. Okay. Tell me anything about yourself and I will instantly tell you, according to the machine, whether or not you're lying. I'm a 21-year-old willowy blonde. Now, it's come out as green 
on yes. that. And that <laughs> means it's true. <laughs> give me give me another one. I am one of five siblings. It's coming out as green. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a bacon naan with <laughs> can't even think of it. This is really bad. With porridge and maple syrup. Oh, my goodness. Right. And roughly what time did you make that? I made that at six o'clock this morning. And what was it like? It was absolutely delicious. Mm. Have you had that before? Um, yeah, it's a classic combo. I go for it every every Thursday, which today definitely is a Thursday. I see. So although the machine is telling us, giving you a clean bill of health, I I'm, I don't know what it is. Call it <laughs> Call it intuition. Call it intuition. Wow. So so you can tell that I'm potentially not telling the truth. Um, and I'm yeah. much more comfortable with this lie detector now that I've, <laughs> I've just spun a load of nonsense at it and it seems to be fine. Well, yeah, this is the problem uh, with the, the technology. We all like to think that actually this is amazing, but we've got incredible technology between our ears. We're pretty good at, at, at communicating with one another. If you know where to put your attention. I'm going to stop you there as we actually have a question about this from none other than Rob Rinder, a.k.a. TV's Judge Rinder. As a criminal barrister for the last couple of decades, you know, TV judge and documentarian, I feel like I've got a strong sense for lying and when people are being disingenuous to me. But sometimes people can be inscrutable. Do you think there's a secret to becoming a human lie detector? Great question, Rob. And it ties in brilliantly with what we've just been talking about. So most people put their attention on the visual cues. So whether someone's moving around, whether they're waving their hands around, eye contact and so on. And the problem with all of that is they are very controllable channels. So we're good at folding our arms or sitting still or whatever it is. And so lots of uh, some of my research and uh, work of other people has been focusing on where the better cues are, where the more reliable cues. And the answer is in the voice. The answer is how we say things and what we say, because that's much, much harder, as you just demonstrated brilliantly, uh, to, to control. Because you have to think, okay, what's the truth and suppress that? And then you've got to come up with some fantastic um, uh, alternative world. And all of that is reflected in the words we say and how we say them. So liars uh, tend to say less. They tend to uh, give a larger gap between the end of the question, the beginning of the answer. There's more ums and ahs in there. There's a lot of emotional distancing. So they tend not to say I and me and mine and things like that. And they struggle. They, they struggle to come up with the details if the questions are fired in and, and, and require quite a lot of processing. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting that if people shift their attention onto the, the words rather than the, uh, the visual signals, they become better lie detectors. I'm wondering, and one of our listeners is also wondering, are there any bits and bobs that that really give you away when when you're trying to trying to lie because I've heard this one before and so has Caroline. Hi, it's Caroline here. So I'm on an interview panel and a colleague said to me that if uh, if the interviewee looks upwards and to the right that means they're lying. Is that so? That's based on uh, NLP, neurolinguistic programming, and you hear it all the time. In, in businesses that people go, oh, you know, I was interviewing this person and their eyes shot in a particular direction and this is evidence, they're lying. And so we did quite a lot of research into it. We took a bunch of students, first of all, 
got them to, I think in that study, I think I gave them my wallet, which is always a nervy thing to do with psychology students. You give them your wallet uh, because often that's it. They just run. <laughs> and and it's it's how many wallets did you lose over the, in the in the course of well, science? <laughs> uh, I've actually so four hundred wallets 400 later. Wallets later, no, but I have to, I've done wallet dropping studies um, with honesty. So what you do do is you drop, go out and drop two hundred wallets across a city and find out how many of them return to you. So I did that in another study. Oh, so you have actually lost? I've lost about two hundred wallets. <laughs> Okay. It's, it's an absolute nightmare. It's, it's really hard to drop your wallet, not look suspicious, and walk away. And, and almost instantly there'll be somebody tapping you on the shoulder saying you just dropped your wallet. And you have to go, I know, leave it where it is. This is science. Uh, back off, basically. And then you find out how many people return your wallets. And the answer is about 50%. Uh, what did you put in the wallet, just out of interest? Um, we used to put money into this. It wasn't a cheap study. It was for money. Uh, a return address, otherwise uh, the response rate was very, very low. And then we put different things to try and encourage people to be honest. So we'd put in like um, a charity donation cards if this was a good person, and the wallet, or we'd put in a nice kind of family photograph. Uh, but the winning, the winning thing to put into your wallet or purse if you want it uh, returned is a picture of a baby. Oh, that that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Did did you put like bad things in there? Uh, national front membership. Uh, strangely, no. Strangely, I wasn't. I wasn't going to be across London dropping two hundred wallets with national front memberships. Strangely, no. No one went. No one no, went for that. No. Okay. Uh, but I, the, the wallet study is, is based on Milgram's uh, work, Stanley Milgram, and he did precisely that. So he was trying. He thought it'd be a terrible idea to go into an area and say and ask people how they're going to vote, uh, because he thought they're going to lie to you. And particularly with some of the extreme political parties. So he wanted a way of finding out the voting patterns in an area, but without asking people, thus the wallet dropping study. So he would go in precisely with membership cards of certain political parties, and he'd see how many were returned. And that gave you a much better insight into how that area was going to vote than asking people, because people would often lie. What so people were more likely to return the wallet if it was the political party that right. they were affiliated with. That's right. That's right. So he, he was a behavioralist and so he's really interested in how people behave. Same with me, rather than how they say they're going to behave, because people tell you any old thing uh, for all sorts of reasons. And so he was always after what what's this way of actually tracking behaviour versus what people say. And, and the wallet dropping one was a, a sort of act of genius. It was great. What's his famous experiment, the Milgram experiment? The Milgram one is the, the shock machine. Uh, which is where you're allegedly giving electric shocks to somebody in the next room. Um, but that's, yeah, he, he did loads, loads of fascinating stuff on Big Milgram fun. Uh, Big Milgram fun? Milgram fan, even. But we can talk about that another time. Yes, because I want to know more about lying. So yes. we, we haven't, so I, I move in. So, so I gave the students a wallet, my wallet. I said, uh, go into the room and either put this into your pocket or put it into my office desk. Then they come out. So I don't know whether it's in their pocket or in the, the desk, and we interviewed them. Some of the time they're lying, some of the time they're telling the truth, and we could look at their eye movements. Nothing. They don't look up to the right, down to the left. It makes no difference uh, at all. And then we thought maybe in the real world it makes a difference. So we looked at those sort of famous um, press conferences where unfortunately a uh, family member has gone missing and the, the family members are, uh, are appealing for help for the public. And on some of those, small number of those press conferences, the, the people who are doing the appeal have actually committed the crime. So we know that they're lying and the others are telling the truth, the other press conferences. So we looked at eye movements there. Nothing, absolutely nothing. This is a complete myth. And yet we all believe it and we all start making decisions on it. 
This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind, and we're talking today about lying. So far, we've got through how many questions from me and from the public? So from you to me, from me to you, the public to us, uh, I think we're on... Uh, 144 questions. Yeah, I think it's more like 500. Yeah, we're getting there. So does it just come down to some people are good at lying and other people aren't? So so I'm a social psychologist, so I'm very interested in the situations in which you put people in. I don't don't like saying some people are this and other people are are Mm. that. It's very much about the situation. It's about the lie. Often it's about whether they do feel bad for that lie. I mean, we lie to each other all the time. Can you imagine the, the, the whole world? Can you imagine relationships where we didn't lie? If someone says, you know, how do I look this morning? And your partner tells you accurately. That's not what you want in a partner. <laughs> you want someone who can lie convincingly. Yeah. And say, oh, you look great this morning, like yesterday. And you go, thank you very much. And we all know none of this stuff is true. But we all get uh, sucked into it. So we need so lying. Do, do you lie to your partner? My goodness, constantly. And, 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 and she lies to me. Yeah. yeah. I'm not even certain she's my partner. We've been together 30 years. I've got no idea what she's doing. So, yeah, so, so we, we need lying. It's, it's the, the kind of glue that holds society and relationships together. But the problem is that that kind of benign lying can then spread into exploitative lying when we're saying things that other people do want to, to know about. So, so in, in a sense, it all depends on the situation rather than good liars and, and bad liars. Are you a good liar? Um, I think I used to be a good liar um, and I've got progressively worse as I've got older. I know. It was a a very florid... (laughs) I sort of believed the lies. That's a fantasist. I can't... can't, can't, (laughs) And I grew up and I was like, oh, no, maybe I can't fly, etc. Right. Oh, I see that sort of lie. Okay, yes. Um, Best lie you've ever told? Oh, best lie. When I was little, I told my teacher I was on uh, in a ferry disaster. Um, but I couldn't remember the name of the ship, and I said it was the Titanic. Right. And and she just went along with this. She was like, really? Wow. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she, she said to my mum, when my mum picked me up, I'm, I'm really sorry that, to hear that you were um, in the Titanic disaster. And, you know, it was really straight-faced, but I was cringing of just being confronted with my lie. How old were you? Five. Well, early 20s. <laughs> yeah, 28. <laughs> uh, yeah, five, five, right, okay. Oh, but I this was, is fairly I innocent. Was, I was believing it. as well. I just wanted to impress her. But you see, it brings in another aspect to this, which is that that's quite an entertaining thing to say, is I was on the Titanic, and even though it's impossible. And, it, and, and again, with a lot of people's stories, and you want to make them entertaining. You don't want the truth. People want to be entertained by someone's story. And, and again, it's, this is a, the positive side of lying. We think it's all negative. So it, it keeps us together lying. We shouldn't be too down on lying. I'm part of the sort of pro-lying um, society. Pro-lying. Well, I'm intrigued what you, what you have to say about... We've had a question in about specifically lying to children. I have a question. If I'm always telling my boys not to lie, why do I then, as a parent, lie? It's it's okay to lie to children, right? Tooth I, fairy. I think it should be compulsory. Um, not, not only a tooth fairy or Santa Claus, everything, absolutely everything. Just never, ever tell them the truth. They should grow up confused and upset. <laughs> um, um, so my ex at university... Um, had a mother who he was he was clearly one of those children who asked loads of questions and his mother's response was 
Oh, oh well, let's look this up. And mm, what an interesting question. His dad would just lie to him. Mm. And then these lies were sort of working their way out of the system. But And, I mean, he was a really smart guy, but every so often he'd say something and I'd be like, who, who told you that? And he's like, oh, well, my dad told me. Oh, my dad told me. <laughs> Moonburn, not a thing. <laughs> Moonburn. Moonburn. What's moonburn? Well, if you go out at night and there's a full moon and you're not wearing an SP factor, that get, should be that should be a thing. That should moonburn. be a thing. So I, so this comes down to the nature of the lie. So we want our children to lie about, same as adults, to lie about certain things. You know, on Christmas morning, do you like that present? And the person present is sitting there. You want the kids to go, yes, this is great. You don't want your kids going, this is the worst thing. You know, it's it's a cheap rip-off of the one I actually wanted. What were you thinking? You don't want that in a child. But equally, you don't want them to be compulsive liars who you can't trust about anything. So it's that fine line again, isn't it, between benign lies, which are for the good of everyone, and exploitative lies, which are all just about yourself. And it's a tricky one with kids. We had a really nice question about a kind of lie that I'm okay with. This is Hannah's question. Take a listen. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Hannah. And in regards to lying, I would actually like to question what is truly considered a lie. Because traditionally, I see it as saying something that's false. So is it classified as a lie if one doesn't say what is the truth? For example, let's say you're in a relationship with someone and that someone used to be married. And obviously when telling your friends and loved ones about this someone, you will share as many nice things as possible. Is it imperative that your close friends and family must know that you're in a relationship with someone who used to be married? Why should it matter? And if you decide to refrain from sharing that information, does it make you a liar? So I love the hypothetical, hypothetical situation. Yes. Very specific hypothetical situation there. Yes. Well, this is lies of omission. And again, it shows the complexity of what a lie is. I think it depends upon whether the person that you're speaking to would expect that information. Because, and and if, if so, admitting it then constitutes deception. And otherwise, we don't tell everybody. Imagine meeting every, everyone you meet, you have to tell them everything. I mean, actually, I do know people like that where no detail too trivial in the story they're telling me. And you think, get on with it. It's fine to admit. Uh, when people go, oh, it's a Wednesday. I think it was a Wednesday. Maybe it was a Tuesday. And you go, it doesn't matter. Just yeah, get on yeah. with the story. A friend of mine had a very charming way. He'd just kind of roll his, his hands and he just went, skip to the end. <laughs> <laughs> like, burn, but also, okay. Yeah, just get on with it. So, so we know that when people speak to us, they admit information. That's one of the rules of conversation. There are uh, three rules of conversation, uh, which is Grice's rules of conversation. Uh, the first one is not a, you have to uh, include all details which are relevant. Uh, the second is that you have to follow up on what the person's just said. In other words, you can't say random uh, things, which is my least favourite of the, the three rules of uh, conversation. Uh, and the third one is that you have to try and make some kind of uh, effort to be interesting. But that omission thing is, is, is part of it. So if you go, well, you didn't tell me this massive thing that I expected to know, then that's, to me that's deception. But I think a lot of people do exactly what um, the, the person was talking about there, which is that rather than lie, they just don't mention things because it's much easier not to mention it than to actively lie and say, oh, yes, it was a Monday when it was a Wednesday or whatever, or that their partner used to be married. 
lying a really human thing? Well, animals deceive, but they don't lie. So, and, and what we don't know is what's going on in their, their little animal heads when they're, they're doing that, because you can't ask them. We can ask them, but they're not going to reply. We've got a clip from, from Lee. He's convinced his dog is lying. So my dog lies. He's, he's a complete liar. He'll go to the back door um, to simulate that he needs to be let out to go to the toilet. But actually, you'll go there and it was all a trick. He lied to you. He'll then walk to the fridge because he wanted to get a piece of meat. And my question, I guess, really is, is lying actually immoral? Is the idea of it being wrong and immoral just a completely human illusion? And really, it's just a part of natural evolution. This is one of the fascinating things about psychology is that because we what we do is sort of assume that other uh, animals are a human-like and, and that they, they're feeling, you know, emotions, for example, and so on, like we do, and you don't know any of that or you, you can only look at their behaviour. I always think with animals, which ones would you and wouldn't you trust with a machine gun? I mean, I wouldn't give a machine gun to, like, a, a, a collie dog because I think they'll have your credit card details within moments where some of the, the other dogs lower down, I would trust them because I think the worst they'd do is blow their own heads off um, because they've got no idea what day of the week it is. You've actually thought about this in quite a lot of detail. You've just gone through machine gun and different breeds of dog, haven't you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, well, what else do you do on a Saturday night? <laughs> We've got one email question. This is from Caroline. This is not from me. When I was 35, I met a man at a party who was 25. I decided in the moment there was no way he'd be interested in someone 10 years older than him, so I pretended I was 28. Whether it was my fake age or my sparkling personality, it worked and we started dating. I was now deep in the lie and had no idea of how to get out of it. It was only when he started saying that he wanted to plan me a 30th birthday party that I began to really panic. In the end, I told him the truth and he was totally fine about it. I guess by then he was already invested in the relationship. And we're now married. But would we have actually started to see one another in the first place if I hadn't lied? Does the outcome justify the lie? So for me, it's always the bigger picture. Does the lie matter? Would the person expect to know that? And so on. Here, I think Caroline is right, that that's the right thing to do it's a it's a fun thing it doesn't matter They're, they've got together now they seem to be very happy together i think she was right to lie what do you think i mean that's fine yes. i have to i have to say my flatmate my old flatmate once went on a date with a guy who may have taken more than 10 years off and she was furious she said well i'm not going on a second date with him because he obviously lied and i said your profile says that you're three years younger than you are. And she said, yeah, but that's just normal lying. Everyone on, on dating websites lies. That everyone, everyone knows that everyone takes a couple of years off. And I was like, I haven't taken a couple of years off. Well, I, I think it's interesting lying and self-presentation. We all present a version of ourselves to others, particularly on those sorts of, of websites. So I think it's it's kind of almost in the rules of the game that you'd, you'd, you'd present your best possible self and that you might cut a few corners, uh, and, and had the guy been furious uh, that, that she'd lied and that was the end of that, then that's the end of the relationship. But um, I'm just very happy that it all worked out for them. I know. I'm, I mean, it must have been at least a year into the relationship when she said, oh, by the way. 
I think she should have gone through with the 30th birthday party. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Yeah. Loads her, more presents. Forcing all her friends to lie. That would be the best thing. <laughs> One final thing is uh, a little uh, test to find out whether or not you are naturally a good liar, which is you take, you extend the first finger on your dominant hand, which for me is my right hand, and you draw a capital Q on your forehead. Very good. Very good. Now, I didn't say which side to put the tail. So you did it naturally over your right eye, which is how you would draw the cue as if you were looking at the cue. What you could have done is put it over your left eye, which would be a cue that I could read, as it were, because it would be the other way around. So it turns out that good liars are always thinking about how other people are seeing them and seeing the world. In other words, they put the, the uh, tail over their left eye. Uh, honest people are slightly more honest and not so good liars tend to see the world from their own perspective they put it over their right eye so you have passed the Q lie detection test and you come out as a terribly honest person which is which is a tragic state of affairs because I think to be a journalist I was told you need rat-like cunning <laughs> what, a, what a lovely profession uh, but, a... <laughs> but you, come, you come out well because you've the lie detector thought you were telling the truth you come out as an honest person on the Q test um, and the only lie you've admitted to is saying that you're on the Titanic which I definitely was I'm still pleased that I fooled the machine even though you told me that it was nonsense you did very well <laughs> Thank you did you. very very well I can't tell if you're lying now. No, that's right. Thank goodness the machine's turned <laughs> off. From Podimo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends. Leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us. And don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.